All right, if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Colossians. I'll tell you where in a minute. On Saturday, I believe it was Saturday. Um, over the past, I don't know how many weeks, I've been, I've been picking one thing to focus on for the whole week on the app and then uh, posting my own recordings on it and then all kinds of additional information to try to spark conversations in regards to those particular subjects. Tomorrow, I have to go to the VA hospital in Big Springs, so that will uh, eliminate me being able to set up the theme for the week in the morning because I'll be driving there. So I kind of set up the theme on Saturday and so um, I thought tonight I would, we would kind of work through it in kind of a, kind of in a hermeneutical way, but in a, in a, in a different way. We're going to, we're going to just, we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to pose the problem or, or problems. And then what I'm going to do is I've got countless commentaries and we're going to kind of see how each one handles it. And then we'll try to determine, is that a good idea, bad idea, and try to work through it. And hopefully we'll, it'll get some practice on working on these passages. But the, if you did not hear the recording, Colossians chapter 3, verse 3, was the passage that sparked everything. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. I'll read the passage. Very familiar verse. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. All right. As soon as I read that on Saturday, I knew, okay, that this verse poses at least, let me look again just to make sure I don't state it incorrectly by looking at the verse. All right. There are, uh, this verse should bring about three questions to anyone who reads it. Three very simplistic questions that are obvious when you read the verse, right? And hope, oh, I'm not going to ask you if you can point them out right now or if you know them. Um, so I will just go through them. For, the first question should be obvious. For ye are dead. What does the death there mean? What does it mean to be dead? Dead in what way? What way? That's question number one, all right? You are dead. All right, what, what is this death it's talking about? What does it mean? How, what kind of uh, implications does it have? All right, the second question, pretty obvious as well. So number one, for you are dead, what does that mean? And your life, okay, what is the life referring to? Because it just said you're dead. It says you're dead, but now it says your life. All right, what does the death mean? What is this life referring to? If I'm dead, then what life do I have? And if I'm, I got to understand the death and I got to understand the life. And the question number three, it should be very obvious. What is the death? What is the life? And what does it mean that this life, whatever this life is, is hid with Christ? Okay, whatever this life is, it's hid with Christ in God, right? I didn't pose that as a fourth question, but okay, it's hid with Christ. What does that mean? So what is the death? What is the life? Whatever this life is, what does it mean that it's hid with Christ in God? Those are obvious questions that anyone reading the text should ask themselves. There's nothing hard there, nothing difficult, right? Because you can just go right, I mean, some people may go right on through, past that. I don't know how they can, but they do. So what we're going to do is we're going to back up a little bit. We'll, we'll, we'll take the, the famous two verses, verse 1 and 2, that everyone quotes. I don't think anyone actually believes them, but they, they quote them. And then 
We'll see if that gives us any help going into three. And then we're just going to start working through commentaries and try to figure this out. In the recording I did on Saturday, I read from a devotional. And it's just typical Christianese. It's all kinds of, you know, I don't know what it is. It's, it's just a spiritual language that when you're all done reading it, you're like, what does that even mean? What, 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 what does that even mean? It's one thing to say, yes, I am dead and my life is hid with Christ. That's such a great thing. And you say, okay, well, explain it to me. And then people are like, well, I'm dead, but my life is, okay, explain that to me. And then, and then it, after a while, it starts falling apart. So let's go, let's set, we'll set it up by looking at verse one th verses 1 and 2. All right? Now, you already kind of get a hint that there's a certain kind of imagery being used here, and we see it in verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ. Now stop right there. What kind of language is this using? No. Resurrection language. Right? Yeah? Resurrection language. Everyone agree? If you be risen with Christ, isn't that very much resurrection language? Okay. All right. Now, obviously, I wasn't physically resurrected with him, but somehow I'm risen with him. There's some kind of connection there. Well, we still got to explain what this means. Agreed? All right. All right. So, if I'm risen with Christ, then what? Seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. All right, if I have been risen with Christ, then I need to seek those things above which, where, uh, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. In other words, if I've been resurrected with him, I need to seek the things where he is. All right, I kind of get the idea where they're going. Set your affections on things above not on things on the earth. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Now, again, that's, that sounds so good, and you can get 900 devotionals to say, set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. And everyone will say what? Amen to it. But do we really do that in any meaningful way? What does it look like? To set your affection on things above and not, and, and not on things on the earth. What does it look like? I don't know if anyone here could write a paragraph explaining to me what it looks like. And if you did write a paragraph and someone else wrote a paragraph, do you think the two paragraphs are going to agree? I can guarantee they won't agree. But we know that somehow we're to set our affections on things above, not on uh, things on this earth. Okay, now verse 3 begins with what word? Four. The NIV, what does it begin with? Four. All right, now stop right there. What is, what is the concept of the word four? All right. How many would say that, and, and, and if there's a disagreement, you can let me know. Does four imply because of? We got think so. Okay, well, remember this is God's word. We can't just think so. We don't do hermeneutics by thinking so. Right? We do hermeneutics by knowing so. All right? So, what do we think? All right? It's because of fair? Agreed? Yeah? Are we sure? All right. I would argue 
that if this is because of, then verse 3 is, what, how, what, just stepping back before we figure out what this life is, what this death is, and what this being hid is, we can, we can start inferring what? That somehow, verse 3 is telling us what? Okay, don't interpret the verse. Explain to me what the verse is trying to do in light of verse 1 and 2. Verse 1 and 2 is giving you something specific to do, right? Seek things that are above and don't set your affection on things on the earth. What is verse 3 then trying to do? A reason, because of, right? So why... Why am I doing these things? Because of something. Verse 3 is giving kind of the, the reason or an explanation to why we're placing our, 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 our seeking things above and not setting our affections on things on the earth. So immediately we know it's giving an explanation. It's giving a justification. It's giving a reason for. Does that make sense? Okay. So whatever we come to a conclusion about the death about the life and it being hid, whatever conclusion we have to come to, we can't just come up with a lot of flowery language. We have to know that whatever this comes to has what? Has real implications. And it's given you a reason that you should not set your affections on things on the earth. Everybody got that? All right, that's, that's just key. So that at least gives me something to hold on to. Now we have to try to figure out what it means, all right? Are you ready for our wonderful journey through like 500 commentaries? All right, are we ready? I have a lot of them, okay? Everybody ready? All right. Do I want to go to the commentaries first or do I want to do this? All right, let's do this. I want, to write, I want you to write down three words, okay? And you may already have these words written down, but go ahead and write them down again. All right? Write down the word death, life, and hid. Because those three words correspond to the three questions, agreed? Okay, now, and before we even get into the commentaries, I want to go to the commentaries to kind of prove some hermeneutical points about how commentaries can just, you know, at times not say much. But uh, as soon as I get ready to do that, it, everything inside me screams and says, well, just do hermeneutics first. So, so we're going to do kind of a little bit of our own hermeneutics. Okay. Now, let's see. Now, I'm going to put a lot of this on you, so you, hopefully you guys are ready to speak up. Okay, you ready? All right. When the Bible speaks of death, right? When it speaks of death, and what different and, and how many different ways does the Bible speak of death? Go. All right, physical death. I, I don't think we need a verse to support this. Agreed? Would everyone agree the Bible speaks of physical death? All right. So write down next to death. Okay, you can put equals physical. Everybody agree? All right. What's another one that everyone could agree on? There should be no debate. Okay. Well, there would be lots of debate on that one. Could we say eternal? Eternal death? Okay. Okay. Well, no, everyone, we, no, no. Uh, et, 
but they still believe that's eternal death because you're dead for eternity. Okay, right. So now, the issue is if eternal death, does it have prolong suffering or does it mean the annihilation? Some would argue because we call it eternal death, that proves that you are annihilated and don't exist. They would actually argue that that proves that because death is the end of something, not the continuation of something. That's how they would argue from a linguistic point of view. Okay. But, so I think we can all agree eternal death. Anybody think of a scripture that mentions eternal death? I want to see if y'all can find it. Anybody who can find it, a verse that mentions eternal death? Can't do hermeneutics if you don't know the Bible. I, I give you an idea. If you've got a dictionary nearby, you could just look up death and see if it gives you these distinctions. I could be wrong. I, I don't know if the dictionary has an entry, but I'm just, you know, if you don't know where else to go, and you've got a dictionary sitting next to you on your pew, use the tool you have nearest to you, correct? I mean, you've got the Bible next to you, but if you don't know it, then you've got to go to what you have. Those listening online, just be patient. They will find it. If there's an entry for death, I, must, I don't know if there is. I don't know if it draws the distinctions here. If you find an entry for death, someone yell out the page number. That speeds everything up. 342. 342. Okay, 342. Does it draw a distinction how the Bible uses the term death? Okay, all right, does it, how many does it give? Three kinds, what are they? Physical, Spirit, eternal, okay. Do they give verses for the eternal one? They give Revelation 2.11, is that what they give? Okay, well they call it the second death, okay. Revelation 20.14 as well. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Okay, it doesn't use eternal death, but okay, all right. Another one? Another verse? I got Revelation 2014. Do we have a second one? 2.11, Revelation as well. Yeah, the second death. Okay, yeah, it doesn't give us a lot of help. Okay, well, we can, we can, so therefore the idea of eternal death is more implied, and it's implied in this way. This death lasts for eternity. Agreed? And we would believe that this death involves eternal punishment. Okay, all right. So we've got physical death, we've got spiritual, or we've got uh, eternal death, and this is death that is uh, deals with eternal punishment, eternal condemnation, the end of one's life, and then they slip into eternity to experience either eternal life or eternal death. Everybody, would everyone agree with that? Okay. All right. So then there's one other, and everyone referred to it as spiritual death. Agreed? Okay. Now, when we talk about spiritual death, there's different facets to this idea of spiritual death. Agreed? Okay. So let's break this down. When we speak of spiritual death, what are we referencing? Okay, well, okay, well, we'll get to that one. 
What's the first understanding when we speak of spiritual death? Separation Separation from God, and that means we're all born dead in our trespasses and sin. We're born spiritually dead. Right? There's a spiritual death. Where, Where would be a good place to find that truth? Okay, what book? Sure, Romans? <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's only going to lead to confusion. That's not going to clarify. How about a, a letter written by Paul? So I do believe Paul wrote it. Maybe Ephesians? Maybe? Is it Ephesians? <laughs> exactly. Okay, all right. All right. I was waiting for someone to get there. So everybody turn to Ephesians 2.1 really quick. Okay. I always wait. I, you know, uh, let me just give you a hint. If you go to a church that has anything close to Reformed theology, kind of Ephesians 2.1 is kind of a must-know, okay? <laughs> Ephesians 2.1. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. That is the description of the unsaved life. You are dead because death is... Sarah said it is a separation, and it's a separation from God. Everyone is born spiritually dead. They're born physically alive, but spiritually dead. Right? Everybody got that? Yes? Okay. So, but wait, there's other ways of understanding spiritual death. Right? Because if we go to Colossians, does that understanding work? Go back to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. People who listen to this kind of teaching, they're like, and, 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 could you just preach, uh, preach it and not make us work? And I'm like, no, that's not the way it works here. Right. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ. Well, if spiritual death refers to someone who's lost, then this is not referencing to that kind of spiritual death, is it? All right, so clearly we can rule out it's not that kind of spiritual death. Agreed? Is he referring to physical death? No, because if you're dead, he wouldn't be writing to them. Okay, well, hang on. So it can't be physical death. Is it referring to eternal death? Okay, so... Exactly. So, so none of this works, right? So, it's not, so, so then what death are we referring to? So when we speak of spiritual death, let's make sure we understand this. Spiritual death refers to the condition of the lost. But is there any other kind of death that the Bible speaks of? I don't know. You tell me. Give me a verse. Well, do you think Colossians 3 explains that? I would make, well, uh, if you, uh, okay, let's do this. If Stephen's going to make an argument that Colossians 3, 3 explains that, then textually, how, how, where are you seeing the explanation in 3, 3? Because I don't see any explanation at all. Are you presupposing an explanation? 
Well, I mean, if you see the explanation, just show me where, where it is. That death? The text does not say the idea of surrendering self. The text does not say that. It says you're dead. So I've got to figure out where death comes from. I'm going to have to import the idea somewhere else because it's not there. Agreed? It's not in Colossians 3.3. 3. I've, I've got to import the idea. So the first thing I have to do is have to eliminate possibilities. Right? It can't be the spiritual death that, that refers to lost people because that would make no sense. Agreed? It can't be physical death that would make no sense. Agreed? Can't, hang on. It can't be eternal death. Agreed. Now, okay, what does verse 5 say? Okay, now wait a minute. That's, a, that's a giving you a continuing action. 3 gives you what? You are dead. So that can't be, you can't be importing 5 back to 3, because 3 is speaking of a one-time act that's done, right? 5 is saying something that you need to do. Right? And I believe if you, I think, the, I think it's in the aorist tense. I think for ye are dead is in the aorist tense. I believe, I could be wrong. I don't have a uh, Greek New Testament in front of me. So, so we, we still have problems. So, get, so what we need to do, what other verses speak of death, right? That could, that could somehow be important to what death he's referring to here to give us another understanding of death. Now in your dictionary, if it speaks of spiritual death, what does it say about spiritual death? Is it only referring to a spiritual death that refers to lost people, or does it offer some other understanding? See, it's far different reading the Bible versus studying the Bible, isn't it? Okay, what does it say? Okay. Does it explain what it is? Doesn't explain anything. It's making a dogmatic assertion that he's been crucified, therefore we would assume by being crucified he's dead. All right? But we don't, still don't really get an idea of what this death is. I still need to know what the death is. Does that make sense? Ooh, okay, now Romans 6, I think, is, um, goes to a kind of an, an, an illustration. I don't know if it really explains it, but let's look at it. Let's go to Romans 6. I figure someone at some point would get there. Romans 6. Mm -hmm. Now, please note, Romans 6 is very controversial. All right. Here we go. We'll start in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And everyone should say, God forbid, right? Well, that's what Paul says, but we should say the same thing. How shall we that are dead to sin? Stop right there. Ooh, stop right here. Now we're getting somewhere, right? Is that referring to being dead in sin as a sinner? Clearly not. Is that referring to eternal death? Clearly not. Is this referring to physical death? Clearly not. So what death is he referring to here? It, dead to sin. This is some other kind of death. This is a kind of death. So think about it this way. We're dead in trespasses and sin, right? Now we haven't got to the life part yet. But then at some point, as a Christian, 
We're to experience a different kind of death. And it's a death to sin. Everybody see it? It's, it's li literally labeled right there. Agreed? Yes? Okay. All right. In fact, let's read the verse. God forbid, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Now, please note, great controversy here. Because some people believe this is what water baptism accomplishes. Some people believe this is what water baptism pictures. And some people believe this has nothing to do with water baptism at all. This is referring to spiritual baptism. So there's not even agreement here with the wonderful world of Christianity. Okay, all right. Here we go. Verse 4. Or, or yeah, okay, verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him in baptism into death. All right, now stop here. If we, if we say this, uh, that water baptism pictures this, if we say this, then we are buried with him in death. We're connected to him in death. This is not referring to spiritual death because we're already dead. Right? So salvation involves not only a resurrection, but a dying as well, which is a weird concept. I'm resurrected to die. What? what, what? Okay. Right? But, uh, but because now we've got to get to the different kinds of life before we can get there. Okay. So, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we shall also walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should know we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. All right. That doesn't give us a lot of information, but we do know the basic concept here is there is a thing called being dead to sin. Agreed? All right. Any other verses that would speak of a death that could possibly fit what's going on in Colossians? What other verses in the New Testament would give us a, diff a, a, a continuing understanding of what this death in Colossians 3 could be referring to? We've got dead to sin. All right, this time think of the words of Jesus. Think of, new t of the Gospels. Jesus says, take up your cross. And what? Does he talk about dying to self at any place or time? Yes. Let, uh, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey in the lust thereof. Yes. But um, he definitely goes on to explain it more. But the basic concept in Romans 6 is that we're dead to sin. So now we want to uh, uh, move this concept forward. And I think Jesus had some things to say about dying to self, right? We've got dead to sin. Is there an idea of dying to self taught in the Gospels? And we need to start doing Bible drills here. If you need help, look up, take up your cross, that concept. It's in the Gospels. 
should be able to find it in Matthew, possibly Mark, possibly Luke. Okay. Okay. Matthew ten thirty-eight. All right. Maybe you can run cross references from there if you need to. That should get you close. Matthew ten thirty-eight. Let's look at it. Okay. Mark eight. Okay. Well, let's go. Let's go through. Where's the one in Mark? Eight thirty-four. Okay. Let's just go here. All right, and when he had called the people unto him uh, with his disciples, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, we would understand the taking up of a cross is an instrument of what? Death. What are you doing? You're denying yourself. So in a roundabout way, by taking up the cross, you are dying to self. So we have a death to sin and a death to self. A death to sin and a death to self. We could go from Mark, um, the passage of Mark. We could go to Matthew, I think, chapter 10. I don't remember the verse. 1038, there we go. I'm just going from memory. Okay, um, and there, there's, I think, some in Luke as well. Um, yeah, you get, you get the idea. At least in all three, gospel, three of those Gospels, I know that it's mentioned, okay? So, we have, so now make, let's go through this death again, all right? Death can refer to what? Physical death. No, no, no one needs a verse to prove that. Everybody, I think everybody's convinced that that exists. That physical death. I hope everyone here understands physical death exists. Okay. Next, it can refer to eternal death, right? Which is sometimes referred to as the second death. And the re reason we refer to it as the eternal death is for what reason? Because it's eternal. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. Number three. <laughs> Spiritual death, and spiritual death, it refers to the fact that we're all born dead in our trespasses and sins, okay? But this idea of death can also have an implication for Christians, because as Christians, we are told to be dead to sin, right? And we are told to take up our cross and die to self. All right, get the idea? Now let's go back to Colossians. I don't think we're going to get to the commentaries doing it this way, but that's okay. All right, go back to Colossians. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, nothing we're doing here should be out of the ordinary. Y'all should be very used to doing this, okay? This is just basic reading and, and, and trying to figure out the what. If you read it, you got to know what it means, right? I mean, I, mean, I make this, and, and for the, for, if it doesn't mean anything to anyone here, hopefully someone listening online it'll mean to. If you read and you don't know what it means, you wasted your time. You didn't accomplish anything, right? Does that make sense? Okay, I've read multiple books since Friday, multiple books, almost half done with another book today, all right? I know what every one of the books mean, okay? Okay, I understood every book. If I didn't know what they mean, then guess what I did? I, waste, I wasted my time. What's, what's the point? So, with, so if I don't read the Bible, I just go right past, mm, okay, oh, read Colossians 3.3. 3. I got to know what it means. So you have to learn to ask yourself these questions. All right, so what are our options here? Colossians 3.3. 3. For ye are dead. Let's go through the process of elimination. Is that physical death? 
Obviously, why? Because he's writing to them. They can't be physically dead. Number two, eternal death. No, the people would be eternally dead. Would not make any sense. Number three, is it referring to spiritual death? In other words, referring to people who are dead in their trespasses and sins? No, because it says these people who are dead, their life is hid with Christ and God. So that makes no sense. So it has to refer to what kind of death? Death to sin and to self of some level. Christians are supposed to be dead to sin in some capacity. What that means, I don't know. And dead to self. Now let me ask you a question. All right, now you re ready to really get complicated? Is this death a positional thing or a practical thing? I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't know if we can say. Put it this way. The whole, remember, what, what is verse 3 doing? An explanation for the, the practical comes before, right? So obviously this death has to have some practical ramifications, agreed? I'm dead. Because I'm dead, I'm dead to what? Self and sin, therefore what should I not be doing? Set my affections on things the earth, because the affections on the earth would only appeal to? There we go. All right, so this has to have some kind of practical level. can't be just positional. Right, agreed? Unless we're going to say the positional death should have practical ramifications. We can make that argument make that argument don't know all right so we did a little bit of work there we could do a lot more okay but we got the next word what's the next word life we got to figure out the same thing does the dictionary have an entry for life I don't know if it does if it doesn't I'll help us out Oh, it does! Dun, 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 dun. Isn't it amazing? All right. Does it give us different kinds of life? What page? 767. Physical life! Eternal! And spiritual! Ding, 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 ding! Isn't it great? All right. So... Let's go through this. Do we need a verse to prove physical life? No, we're here. Okay, okay, okay. All right. All right, so anybody come up with a verse about eternal life? Oh, come on, people. The most famous verse in the entire Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only biggest name. Whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have. Okay, there we go. Okay, man. Wait, when people on the internet hear this, sometimes you guys, they, they start questioning what's going on here. Okay, everybody should know Jeff 316. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of pretty bad. Okay. All right. All right. So, no problem with eternal life, right? That, that would be opposite of eternal death, right? That's into eternity. Okay. All right. Now, that would give us what more? Spiritual life. What verse would give us spiritual life?
That's Colossians 3.3. 3. That doesn't tell me what that means. That doesn't, yeah. Give you a hint. Where did we find spiritual death? That, that, that kind of helped. That didn't know. That didn't help us. Ah, so if Ephesians 2.1 tells us about spiritual death, I wonder if it also contains lie. I wonder, does it? Do I need to read it for everybody? Let me read it. Okay. And you hath he quickened. Okay, that can't be physical death, right? That has to be spiritual death. Because what kind of death is he referring to? Who were dead in trespasses and sins? You were dead spiritually and he quickened you. He made you alive. That is have to be, by definition, spiritual life. All right, everybody got that? That's pretty simple. Okay, so now, what kind of death is he referring to? In, uh, so go back to Colossians 3.3. 3. It doesn't? Okay, when it says you were dead, that implies you're now alive. Right? Okay, all right. Yeah. So, I mean, it's implying that you're alive. If, you're, if, you, if you were dead, then you're not dead. Okay. Now, it may not use the word quickened, because uh, the, quick, uh, the word quickened doesn't appear in some manuscripts, I believe. Okay. There we go. All right. Still there. It's still there. Okay. All right. So let's go back to Colossians 3. Go back to Colossians 3. All right. Now, we're getting somewhere, aren't we? Yes? We're getting somewhere? All right. So let's go through this again. Here we go. For ye are dead. All right. We know what kind of death it is, right? It has to be a death to sin or a death to self. That's the only one that makes any sense. Agreed? All right, I'm dead in some way. I'm dead to something. All right, now I'm dead, but guess what I also am? Alive. Now what kind of life is this referring to? Okay. Uh, eternal life, we're going to leave eternal life in eternity. I understand it has a, rem I do understand. But remember what kind of lives were there? Physical, eternal, and spiritual. So this has to be what kind of life? Spiritual life. Spiritual life. Now, to be fair, this could, it could have an implication for more than spiritual life. And why is that? Well, let's look at it. If we, you are dead, okay, dead to sin, dead to self, and your life is hid with Christ in God. What life is he referring to? When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. This life has something to do with my eternity. So it may have an eternal concept and not just a spiritual one. Everybody get that? 
All right? So here's the state of a... Think of the way Christianity works. It seems convoluted, but this is the way it works. You're born dead. Right? You experience a spiritual quickening or resurrection, and you have spiritual life. But you also experience a death. So in a, in a roundabout way, as a Christian, even though you're spiritually alive, there is, you're still dead because you're supposed to be dead to sin and to self, but at the same time you possess a life. They say that life is hid in Christ. Right? Everybody got that? So we at least have some clarification. This death has to be referring to death to sin, death to self. It has to be. And this life has to refer to either my spiritual life or somehow my eternal life. Right? But this, whatever life it's referring to is hid with Christ in God. Now because I am dead to, and we could argue I'm supposed to be dead to self, dead to sin. We could argue de de dead to the world. I don't know if we could find a specific verse to apply to that, but we could get an idea. All right, if I'm supposed to be dead to that, that explains why this is explaining uh, Colossians 3, 1 and 2. If I'm dead to all of these things, then why would I be seeking anything here? I'd be seeking and set my affections on things above. If my life, whatever that life is, whether spiritual or eternal, if it's hid with Christ in God, then where should I be setting my affections? Okay, I should. Now, if, if not, you get the implication. If you're not setting your affections there, that either shows, A, you're not dead to self, to sin, which calls into question, or your life is not hid with God, which calls into question your salvation. But you, you, you try to push that to some Christians, they'll, they'll get mad and offended that you would call into question their Christianity, but at some point Christians need to question their, their Christianity because sometimes it makes no sense. So that leads us to the third, and that is hid. What does it mean that it's hid with Christ? That one's a little bit more complicated, but let's do this, all right? So we got that, we, we at least got started, correct? Now let's take a step back and work through some commentaries and see if they go in the same direction or in opposite direction. But please note, what did we do? We took the text, we identified the basic questions reading 101 comprehension should raise. That, I mean, a fifth grader, fourth grader, third grader should be able to figure these questions out. Okay, very self-evident, nothing difficult. And then we started utilizing the Bible to try to understand them. Did we need a commentary? No. We just needed to be able to know, and I cannot assess, this is why you have to know the Bible. If you don't know the Bible, you can't understand the Bible. Right? You've got to know where the cross-references are. You've got to be able to find those cross-references. That's why you constantly have to be knowing uh, the Bible. All right, so let's see what the commentaries do. What do you think they're going to do? Are you sure? Okay, here we go. I'm not going to name each and every one. I'm just going to go through them. I just, I just copied and posted notes, right? In no particular order. No, I just, I didn't care. I didn't care if the commentary was as crazy as crazy it could be or as good as it could be. I just picked and started going. Because so most Christians online, they don't know if a commentary is good or bad. They just start choosing, right? Here we go. Ye are dead. Properly, ye died. All right, so they're referring to this as a past tense, that this is, or, or a completed tense, that you are dead, you have died. They said, see Colossians 
Look at it. Everybody see it? She just read it, Colossians 2.20. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, you are subject to ordinance? Right? I'm dead with Christ. And this implies that I'm also dead to what? No. What does the text say? What does the text say? Text say, text say, text say. There we go, from the rudiments of the world. This is where we're dead to, to sin, self, and the world. Remember I said there was a verse somewhere that says we're possibly dead to the world? Remember? Well, there we go. You just found it. All right. So, um, so there is a, we're somehow dead in Christ. We're connected to Christ, right? There's a death that takes place. Salvation is not only a spiritual resurrection, it's a spiritual death in a sense, right? Because we die to different things. All right. They said, uh, ye are dead, properly ye died. See Colossians 2.20. The phrase here is to be taken in its whole sense, both of death to sin and death to the visible world. All right. So they at least explain what this death is. They don't go through, well, they don't go through the process of elimination, but you're dead to these things. Because you're dead to these things, that's why you are not seeking Things on the earth and not setting your affections on things of the earth. That's why they're being placed there. If you're dead. Now, if you're not dead, what's going to happen? Right. Which then raises questions of one's salvation. Now, your life is hid with Christ in God. Christ, who is our life. In these two phrases, again, we pass from a lower to a higher expression of the same truth. Number one, first, our life is hid with Christ in God. The spiritual life in man is a hidden life. Now the text does say it's hidden. I still don't know what it means. Right? I think we're pretty good with the death and the life. Everyone agreed that we're pretty good with that? So we really need to figure out the hidden part. They, they go pretty quick through the death and the life. They don't really tell us what the life is, but okay, we get the idea. All right, so they said our life is hid with Christ and God. The spiritual life in man is a hidden life. Having its source in God, the full conviction of it as distinct from the mere instinctive consciousness of it in the mind itself comes only from the belief that it is the image of God in us and sustained by constant communion with him. All right, that's, a, that's, that's again, they're getting to those kind of words that say a lot, but don't say a lot. All right. There's, they are saying our spiritual life is, is hidden in Christ. And why is it hidden in Christ? Because he's the source of it. I got no problem saying he's the source of it. But please note, they make a very important statement here. Let me read it again. All right. Um. Uh, it comes only from the belief that it is the image of God in us and our, our spiritual life is sustained by constant communion with him. That's a major statement. Constant communion with him. Has anybody here ever experienced constant communion with him? 
What does that mean? Again, this is a commentary. That sounds good, and some pastor will write that down in their sermon notes and preach it, and everybody will be like, oh, amen, amen. What does that mean? Does anybody walk out and go, well, wait, am I experiencing constant communion right now? That, I, I don't know if I even agree with that statement. They go on to say, if God be our God at all, we must live, for he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. That, that, that sounds good. I don't know what that means. Does, does anybody know what that means? I don't know what that means. So that, these are the things that make me want to throw commentaries across the room. It is also hid with Christ. Our Lord's ascent to his glory in heaven is at once the pledge and the means of this, our spiritual communion with God. It is with him that we can, in heart and mind, ascend. It is with him that we can continually dwell. But this is not all. Christ is our life, now as well as hereafter. This is simply a summary of two truths. Christ liveth in me as the source of life, and to me to live, the actual condition of life, is Christ. It is but a brief expression of faith in the truth which our Lord himself declared. I am the life. Whoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die again. Hence, our spiritual life is not only a being with Christ, it is also unity with Christ in the bosom of the Father. All right, that all sounds good. There's not a lot of tangible things we can grab onto here. Right? It's not a lot of, of, of tangible things. What's the best we can take from that commentary is this. They are making the claim that in Colossians 3.3, when we read, For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God, they're arguing that I'm dead to sin, the self, and the world. I now have a spiritual life, and that spiritual life is hid with Christ in God, and the reason it is hid there is because he is the source of it, and he is the source not only of the life I live now, he is the source of the life that I will live hereafter. But what they say is the only way to sustain or maintain the spiritual life now is I must remain in constant communion with him. Now what did the commentary not answer, which should be the obvious question? What happens if I don't maintain constant communion? Do I lose my, physical, my spiritual life? That's the implication. We would argue that can't be the case because you, don't lose, you can't lose your salvation especially if I didn't earn my salvation as a gift from God, then obviously I can't lose it. So it doesn't do anything to help me understand what that means, right? What, what, do, I, how, what do I have to do to maintain, how do you maintain constant communion? I don't know. Does anybody know what it means to maintain constant communion with God? Don't know. So then guess what? Books are written about how to maintain constant communion with God that usually end up in what? Here's 37 things you must do. Nobody does the 37 things, but all still believe that they maintain constant communion with God. And I don't know. So that, it's not a help, lot of help. Let's go to the next commentary. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ and God. Now they just go crazy with cross-references. Right? They just go crazy with cross-references. So let's, let's play along. This may be as far as we get, but that's okay. We're going to be focusing on this all week. I'll be posting all kinds of sermons on Colossians 3.3. 3. When, I, when I start posting the sermons, it'll be interesting to see how many different takes we get on this. But they just go crazy with cross-references, so let's go through them. Colossians 2, 
which we've already looked at, but we'll, we'll follow it. They start in verse 11. Everybody there? Colossians 2.11. And whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. All right. Verse 12. Buried with him in baptism, wherein you also ra are, uh, raise, are risen with him through faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. Verse 13. And you being dead... In your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses. All right. I'm dead. I'm, spiritual. I'm made spiritually alive. Okay, that's trying to help with... The, in a roundabout way, what are they trying to do with that cross-reference? That's what they're trying to do. They don't, exp they don't explain what they're doing, but they're assuming that the reader can figure it out. All right. Um, they, they also throw in verse 20. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Right? They want us to go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. Ephesians 4, 22. Everybody there? Say Amen. Ephesians 4.22, that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. All right? That doesn't help me really at all, because that's telling me something I need to do, which doesn't seem to be the uh, issue at hand in Colossians 3.3. It may be the issue in Colossians 3.5, but not in 3.3. In 3.3, it's a done deal. I'm dead. My life is hid. So I don't know why they go to Ephesians 4.22. They go to a Philippians 3.20. See, even the cross-references sometimes in uh, commentaries make no sense to me, but that's okay. Philippians 3.20. Colossians 3.20, or Colossians, Philippians 3.20. Philippians 3.20. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that, I, that word conversation can also be translated what? Our citizenship? How does the NIV translate it? Philippians 3.20? Citizenship, okay. So, our citizenship, our, our, our existence, we could argue our manner of life, is in heaven, right? Which is, I'm dead, I'm alive, and my life is in heaven. There, somehow my life is in heaven. In other words, that even though I'm living here physically, that I'm really a citizen in heaven. I'm really united with Christ there. Okay, that's kind of getting us a, li a little bit more understanding of what's going on in Colossians 3.3 a little bit, Right? Colossians 3.3 is saying, hey, you're supposed to be dead to this world and you're supposed to be alive, but your life is in heaven. You're seated with Christ. Therefore, seek that because that's where your life really is. That's the source of it. That's the, that's the place of it. All right, that, that's getting us a little bit better in understanding what's going on in Colossians. They go on. There's a, there's a lot here. We're going to have to stop here now. But let's go. Uh, they go to Romans. We'll go to Romans 7. They go to Romans 6. We've already looked at that one. We'll go to Romans 7 really quick. 
I mean, they got a lot here. I mean, they just go crazy. Oh, this is a weird one that they put here. Okay. Wow. Now I'm really, now I'm really interested that they go Romans 7. I'm really confused. Okay. All right. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. Then if while her husband liveth, so she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead. Oh, wait, here's another death that we didn't talk about. What death is this? Death to the law. That's interesting. Um, by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring, for, uh, bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead, wherein we are held, that we should serve in newness of spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. All right, that's an it. Okay, so there is a good reason they bring that. We are also supposed to be dead to what? The law. So what death are we supposed to have? We are dead, and we are supposed to be dead to what? The law? The world? Sin and self. And if we are dead to that, then let's go back to Colossians 3.3. 3. Well, and we didn't get to go through all these cross-references. There's so many. Sometimes I question, I mean, I know why commentaries do this, um, but it kind of makes me mad because most people who look at a commentary, guess what they don't do? They don't stop and read all the cross-references. Bottom line is, you don't understand the Bible unless you do what we're doing. It just requires work. Did it, it, we've been doing this an hour. We're not even done with Colossians 3.3. 3. Everybody understand that? You, the Bible, studying the Bible is not something, like, that's why I always say people are like, well, I don't like to study, I don't like to read. You picked the wrong religion. I mean, God gave you his word in what form? Great form. All right, so let's, let's read three, let's read three, one, and, uh, one to three, and let's, let, oh, I'll just read it and offer a quick explanation. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Right? If you've experienced a spiritual resurrection, right? if you've been quickened, seek what? Those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. Get your affections off the earth. Put your affections above. I don't know what that looks like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, but I think and Sunday. It, we, we should probably all check ourselves and go, is our affections really set on things above? And then why or because? We're dead. We're dead. And what death, we're death, uh, what death is this referring to? The only death that we can come up with, it has to be dead to what? Sin, self, the world, and the law. 
Now, the law wouldn't have as much implication here as the other, but it would still, what is it? Well, the law is an earthly thing. Would we agree? Right? So if we're dead, so we're dead to everything earthly. Right? Because our citizenship, one of the cross-references, is where? In heaven. Where is our life? In heaven. So therefore, our focus should be heavenward. Even though it's not, when it's earthward, then what does that seem to indicate? Something's not right spiritually. Or maybe not a lack of salvation. Right? And then oh, we have life. And what kind of life do we have? We have physical life. And for Christians, we have eternal life, and then we also have spiritual life. And that spiritual life is connected to Christ. He's the source of it, right? And if he's the source of it, our life is hid with him. Because where is he at? Right hand of the Father. Therefore, that's the source. If that's the source of life, then we keep turning to the source, right? Now, I don't know how to say, I, I'm not going to sit there and say we only maintain it through communion with him and, and I have turned this into some kind of mystical thing because I don't even know how that works. And that just leads to uh, the, the devotional that I read in my recording. It was just as nonsensical as what some of that, that, that one commentary we just read. But we have to be focused on that. Your life is not here. Your life is from there. So we should be seeking and setting our affections there. That's just a, a beginning of taking Colossians 3.3 apart. All right? Everybody see how we did that? Was it hard? Do I? Yeah, dictionary. I mean, we, we didn't necessarily need, I mean, if you didn't know all the verses, then, then you did. If you, if you didn't know all of that stuff. But if you, if you start exploring the Bible, we, we got a pretty good idea, though. But, I mean, a dictionary is a good tool to get us started. But all we really did is just try to understand the terms. And make sure, make sure we understand this. You can, and, and I started hearing some of you do this. You cannot do this. You go to Colossians 3, 3, you can't just start reading your presupposition into it. That's not hermeneutics. That's not Bible study. That's, that, that's how heresy starts. Right? I can't define Colossians 3, 3 by my presupposition. I have to define Colossians 3, 3 by what? By the scriptures. Right? Because does Colossians 3, 3 explain what that death is? No. Does it explain what that life is? No, does it explain what it means to be hid? No. So I've got to figure out what it means, try to bring it back into the text, and then read it correctly. Does that make sense? But I do know this by just reading that Colossians 3.3 3 has something to do with verse 1 and 2 because it's explaining why I should be doing what's in verse 1 and 2. That gives me, that gives me a framework on how to interpret it. I'm interpreting it as explaining why I shouldn't be seeking things on the earth and why I shouldn't be setting my affections here. Well, now I know why. Because... I'm supposed to be dead to everything here. If I'm dead to it, it doesn't have a lot of impact on me, correct? All right, well, I think we can question sometime how dead we really are. And uh, if my life is in Christ, well, then I should be seeking where my life comes from. Pretty simple. All right, let's pray. Lord God, we come before you this evening. Lord, just uh, an hour of hermeneutics, but I hope, um, I hope it benefits everyone here that they, they should read and ask these questions. And I hope this week as we... As I post sermons in regards to Colossians 3, 1 through 3, I hope that people will listen and hear the different perspectives. And by the end of the week, we'll have a broader, better understanding of Colossians 3. And hopefully it will spark some conversations in regards to the text itself, because that's the goal. 
And we just thank you for the technology that allows us to do this kind of thing. And pray that we take advantage of it so that we have a better understanding of Scripture. And um, as we grow in our understanding of Scripture, we, we become better at studying your word and knowing where Scriptures are. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said...